come down here with you today, if you don't mind. Daniel, I have two brands. Ejections. I've had a number of them. I'm going in for another one, and that it will be effective uh, for me. I know Brother Jimmy's gone through that. Uh, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. That'll help me. All right. All right. Is that okay? Chapter 3. We've been in this uh, My wife is an expert packer. Uh, she she knows how to. We arrived at camp, and so Paula was putting things up, and she said, uh, did you hang your shirts up yet? I said, no, I, I didn't. And she said, did you pack them? I said, no, I, I didn't pack them. She said, I didn't either. Well, I knew it was my fault. Fellas, it's always your fault. And but I really did. I knew it was my fault because uh, I knew where they were. I knew exactly where they were over the back of the chair, and I forgot to get them. Well, we were 150 miles away from home, so that afternoon, about an hour later, we had to go back in town.
There's an old uh, saying in government. They have other other ways of saying this, but I'll give the clean version. That proper planning prevents poor performance. Proper, I'm sorry, prior planning prevents poor performance. Prior planning prevents poor performance. And that's true. And the work of God is no different where uh, planning is important. In fact, um, um, that is one of the spiritual gifts according to Romans 12 are those that have the gift of administration. But there's something in your Christian walk and something in the local church that's more important than administrative tasks and logistics. It's important. But there's something more important concerning preparation. You can have a strong... No, you, you, not in our organ. God 
he works in you. And I think sometimes, in, even in Bible colleges, we teach people logistics and we teach them how to study, and but we don't teach them how to pray and how to or what it means to walk with God and and some of those things. Some of those things don't come except through suffering. You get to know the Lord better. But before God works through you, God works in you. And you see this as a pattern. I want you to look, and we'll get in Joshua 3 in a moment, but in Proverbs chapter 4, as you look there with me, <clears throat> verse 23 is a verse that I have been meditating on and, and uh, reading about a lot. And the Bible says there, keep thy heart with all diligence. Uh, Brother Vaughn and I were talking about this verse this week. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it, that is your heart, are the issues of life. I knew that verse uh, when I was a young young teenager. It was important, but as I've gotten older, I've seen the importance of it more. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of your heart come, the Bible says, the issues of life, all the issues of life. Now, the word keep there means to guard and protect, just like a... Uh, someone is assigned a prisoner, and you keep, you guard, you protect that prisoner. Well, your heart is not a prisoner, but you're to protect your heart. Guard your heart. That's what he's saying. Protect your heart, because out of your heart come all the issues of life. But I want you to notice a qualifier there, modifier. Keep your, your heart with all diligence. So the responsibility is to protect your heart. The attitude is with all diligence. Here's what's interesting. Um, keep has the idea of, of a guard. All diligence is the same word as a guard, but it's his attitude. Now, in the Roman days, in fact, when Jesus was crucified, the reason those guards were so scared, because in, in, when Peter was in prison, the same thing. If, if your prisoner escaped, then whatever his, his penalty was, was given to the guards. And this happened over and again, and it terrified them. And so they they gave great attention to it. They were diligent about it. So here's what he's saying. Here's my responsibility to guard my heart. And it's so sober, I'm to do it with all diligence because my life depends upon it. For out of my heart come all the issues of life. Just like when, when your heart beats, it propels your blood through your arteries to, to your extremities, to your, the most extreme parts of your body. Keep your heart with all diligence. Out of it are the issues of life. Well, your heart, your spiritual heart, your soul, your mind, when you keep your heart or you don't keep it for good or for bad, it goes to the most extreme parts of your life. Out of it come the issues of your life. And pick any issue of your life and according to how you have or have not kept your heart. It's like a fountain stream. If you go downstream, if the fountainhead is polluted, whatever is downstream is going to be polluted. And the heart is the fountainhead. Before God works through you, God must work in you. And I'm going somewhere with this. That's why we sang some songs about consecration today. Uh, draw me near, consecrate me, Lord, for thy service, Lord. Wherever he leads, I'll go. We're talking about consecration. God, I, I want you to work in me. 
Um, one of the great men in the Old Testament was Samuel. He wasn't perfect. He had some flaws. He wasn't a good father. Uh, but he, he was, uh, strangely, he was a man of God. When you read it, his, God had his hand upon him. But Samuel was, was a judge and a prophet. And Israel was in a time of spiritual declension. They were backslidden, if you will, and they were beginning to come back. And he had a message in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 3. I want you to look at it on the screen here. And Samuel spoke, spake unto all the house of Israel, the nation, saying, If you do not return to the Lord with all your hearts, that means with everything, a full repentance, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth, that was one of the gods they worshipped, from among you. Now here's what I want you to say. And prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve Him only. He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. They were Israel's mortal enemies. He will deliver you. And notice the word, what you're preparing. You're preparing your heart. You're not preparing the army. You're not preparing the organization. God's not going to deliver you for that. God's not going to deliver our church if we get organized better. He's not against it, but that's, that's not how he's going to bless our church. He delivers our church and blesses our church when you, the Bible says here, when you prepare your hearts. We'll talk about that a little bit today. When uh, the Bible prophesied about John the Baptist coming to prepare the way for, for Jesus Christ as a Messiah. And as I was preparing this and looked uh, at all the places, it was interesting. But this is the idea in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. This is John the Baptist prophesying of him. Here's what he said. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway of our God. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. You need to make preparation for God to come. Now, whenever the king came to visit your nation or your, your community, rather, it was a big deal. Uh, I was working a football game about three or four years ago, and um, and President Trump came to Huntsville. It may have been longer than that. And I was 30 minutes late to the game. I could not get here. He was at the Civic Center. I had to drive all around. They had so many roads blocked. It's a big deal when, when, a, when a head of state comes to your town. They, they take care of it. And even back then, well, the roads weren't like they are now. They were paved. And they, they would take out all the stones at the low places where there were uh, potholes, if you will. They would fill them. And the high places, they would lower them. The low places, they would raise them because they wanted the king to have a nice and safe journey and, and be comfortable when he came in. They, they took care of the king. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places shall be made plain. Uh, did you prepare your heart uh, for church today? Uh, not just prepare your clothes. Did, did you pray uh, yesterday, this morning? Did you say, God, uh, speak to my heart. Uh, help those that, that minister to us, the, those that teach me for my life group leader, those that would teach my children. Do you prepare your heart for worship uh, each week when you spend time alone with God. And I've told you before that I feel sorry for the music leaders and worship leaders across the country. 
They're trying to whip up something that doesn't exist. Come on, sing like you really mean it. Oh, really? Just like you mean it? How about just really mean it? You know? And uh, if you haven't meant it Monday through Saturday, we're not going to create anything in here. Uh, I, th- I think we, we create so much artificial exterior stuff by our pretentiousness when, uh, when what happens in here is just the overflow of Monday through Saturday. Did you prepare your heart, those of you that ministered the Word of God, uh, not just your mind, but do you pray uh, through your material where, where it's in your spirit, where, where you apply the lessons and let God speak to you? Uh, keep your heart with all diligence. Out of it are the issues of life. Preparing your heart, that's what he's saying here. King Rehoboam, in Second Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 14, the Bible says he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. He did evil. His heart wasn't prepared. Listen, we take care of the external when God looks at the internal. Man sees the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God's looking for, for somebody's heart. The most important part about you is your heart. I'm not talking about your physical organ that pumps blood. He's talking about the soul. He's talking about your mind, which determines your emotions, and your mind determines your will. Rehoboam kept following the tendency and the natural flow of his heart, but he needed to to prepare his heart. I had to prepare my heart daily, but even more, I had to prepare it moment by moment. I have to guard my heart. Critical words from negative speech. I, the Bible says, "Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." Um, you know, with my wife, with my friends, um, I have to guard my heart. Then uh, the Bible also says in Second Chronicles chapter nineteen and verse three of King Jehoshaphat. Uh, you say, "Who are these guys?" Uh, Rehoboam. Well, uh, there's Jeroboam and Rehoboam and all the Boam boys and. You have Jehoshaphat and all the fat brothers. There's just a whole group of them here. And um, I went to Bible college. I know all these things. And Second uh, Chronicles 19.3 talks about Jehoshaphat. It says, Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee. This is, I, I love this text. He had compromised and, and, and done some things. He, he, had comprom- he, done, he hadn't done moral wrong, but he had compromised. And the prophet came to him. I think it's Jehu. I believe that's his name. And he compromised. And, and God said, I'm, I'm going to judge you. But he said, you know, there's some good things in you. And that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land. That's where they worship false idols. But you, you have prepared thine heart to seek God. I really like that, you know. God doesn't just see the whole from a 40,000 foot view. He, he sees every part of our hearts. I love the Lord. I love him. Uh, King Jehoshaphat, the Bible says he had prepared his heart. Uh, boy, there was some slippage in some parts of his heart, but there was a part they were seeking God. And then in the next chapter, it says about the people. Watch this. Under King Jehoshaphat, in Second Chronicles twenty thirty three, under his rule, howbeit the high places, this is again where they, they worshipped false idols and offered their children. Uh, and sacrifice him. It was the prelude to abortion. Howbeit the high places were not taken away. For as yet the people, look at this, 
the people had not prepared their hearts unto the God of their fathers. Now he said in the earlier chapter, their king had prepared his heart, but the people that were under his authority had not prepared their heart. Now listen, just because dad prepares his heart doesn't mean mom is or or the kids are. Just because a leader does doesn't mean everybody is going to you, you can't live off the coattails of someone else's spirituality. I thought for years that I was a Christian because my mom and dad were, and that's not true. You're not saved because of your parents. You're, you're not godly by osmosis. You're making your own choices. And you get up where, where I am. You've lost your parents, and, and what you have is what you have. You better be investing. And then again in Chronicles, I about King Jotham, Second uh, Chronicles twenty-seven six. King Jotham became mighty. He became mighty, a mighty king, because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Now, I hope you're not. I hope you're looking at these verses with me. These are not insignificant things, and they're in Chronicles, the, the parts of the Bible we don't read much. He was mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Again, God is not against organization, but He wants you to organize your heart before Him. And I love this verse. It's about King Uzziah. King Uzziah had a good start and a poor finish. In his early days, he was under some good influence, and then his mentor died. And then it's just like the wheels fell off. But uh, here, here's what he did. And it's one of my favorite lines in Scripture. In Second Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 5, and Uzziah, it speaks of him, King Uzziah uh, sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as King Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. See that? As long as he sought the Lord, or can I phrase it this way? As long as he prepared his heart. As long as he prepared his heart, he sought the Lord. God made him to prosper. It doesn't mean he had a lot of money. I mean, God can give you money, but it's nothing to him. A lot of ways to prosper. God will make you prosper when you seek Him. So, is there a way that I can prepare my life to the maximum so that I can say, God, I need your leadership, I need your hand of blessing? Well, that's what Joshua 3 is about. If you look at with me, Joshua chapter 3, let's read the first six verses. And we want to jump in here and get some things that will help us. Joshua 3 and verse 1. Joshua rose early in the morning. You probably have that underlined. We talked about that. And they removed from Shedem and came to Jordan, the Jordan River. And he and all the children of Israel, maybe three and a half million of them perhaps, maybe more. And they lodged there before they passed over. came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, all the people. And they commanded the people. Now, they got their commands from Joshua. From what happened in verse 1, when he rose early in the morning, he met with God. And here's the command. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, which is the way they're supposed to do, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, and we may talk about that in a minute, about 2,000 cubits, that's about 3,000 feet, a little over half a mile by measure, Come not near, don't come near unto it, that, in order that, 
Look at this. That ye may know the way by which you must go. Is it here are principles? All of this is principles that you may know the way which you must go. For you have not passed this way heretofore. Oh, Brother Rick, I don't know what to do. Boy, I don't either. But God says, I'll show you the way you're supposed to go, even though you don't know. But here are my principles. And Joshua said unto the people, and, and here is a conditional promise. Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Miracles, amazing things. And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Now, I've given you uh, three principles or two principles. I'm going to introduce a third one. The first one I've given to you is that when, we, when you follow God's direction, you find God's best. Whenever you follow his direction, you find God's best. God's way is the best way. Um, Your way is not the best way. Uh, God can do more for you in 60 seconds than you can do in 60 years. And you just follow God's way, even if it doesn't make sense. We talked a lot about that. Second principle I've presented to you is God will not show you the next step until you obey the light he's given to you to follow today. Uh, God wants you to... To do what, that's, that's how open doors work. Do what I tell you today. The best way to be in the will of God tomorrow is to be in the will of God today. And do what I tell you right now. Now here's a principle today I'm going to give you and, and give you some uh, scriptures to go with it. That God will only do what he can do when you consecrate your life fully to him and his purpose. And I, I phrased it that way. On purpose, he will only do what he can do. You don't want what you can do. Uh, I'm not a good enough father, a good enough husband, a good enough pastor. I, I need more. Right? And I don't just need more. I need God. And God will only do what what He can do when you surrender your life to Him and to His purpose. God has an assignment for you, and you have to surrender to Him. Now, here here are the principles uh, in the text. The first one is in verses 1 through 3, and that is to get a word from God. That's what uh, Joshua was doing when he got up early in the morning. He was meditating. He was reading the law, reading God's word, and meditating on Scripture. Get a word from God. Spend time with God. Number two, then do what God tells you to do. Just find out what, get the word from God, and then obey it. It's just that simple. All right. Now, here's what we're going to deal with today, and I've already kind of given this thought, and we're going to cultivate this. Number three, surrender yourself fully, fully to God's person and His purposes. Just give yourself to the Lord and give yourself to His purpose, because he has, he has a plan, He has a will for your life. This was the most important day in Israel's life. Uh, since they crossed the Red Sea. Now they're about to cross the Jordan River. And out of all of these millions of people, there were only two people that remember the Red Sea, and that was Joshua and Caleb. The rest of them had died in the wilderness. Now the others had heard about it because they talked about it. In fact, uh, the people on the other side of the river in Joshua chapter 2, they were terrified. They'd heard about it too. But only two had seen God's power and experienced it. And this was an important time for them. And as you know, the river did 
uh, hold back. God did that. He did it a different way. We'll talk about that later. Not today, another time. And, and, and the ground was dry. But before, before this happened, before God worked on their behalf, and in, in in, in the Bible here uses this word, wonders, and did what only he could do. They had to do what they could do. Now, here's what it says in verse 5. He says, sanctify yourselves. This is something they had to do. You, you Sanctify yourself. And then God's going to do something special for you tomorrow. So we see the preparation of their time alone with God. That's something in their heart. We see the preparation of them obeying what the Lord told them. That's something in their heart, obedience. And then here we see a deeper preparation. You know, I got saved, but I didn't fully surrender to the Lord for... In fact, my spiritual birthday is is this week, this coming Saturday, February the 18th. I will have been saved 55 years. Is that right? 55 years? Yeah, 55 years this Saturday. But I surrendered my life to the Lord when I was 17, eight years later. And there's a deeper preparation of a complete surrender to, to the Lord. God, I give you everything. We used to say lock, stock, and barrel, hook, line, and sinker from the, from the sole of my feet to the crown of my head. I give you everything that I have. And notice in verse 4, I pointed this out. Yet there shall be a space between you and the ark. Sixteen times in chapters 3 and 4, the word ark is used. It speaks of the presence of God. 2,000 cubits, 3,000 feet, almost half a mile, over half a mile. Come not near unto the ark. It was so they could see it. But it was also so they would reverence it. And they did. They had a reverence for God. Uh, But he wanted to reinforce that so that you don't come near it, but I want you to see it. Stay, Stay away from it. There's nothing common about God. And it's so easy to assume upon the Lord. I was do, I've been doing a study. My, my daughter-in-law gave me a little uh, study. We stopped and saw them last Sunday after we left church, and and or two Sundays ago. I've lost track of time. And we went to see uh, John and Ani and see the baby that they adopted, my, my granddaughter. Um, and she she's six months or five months, five months, and got to hold her and spent four or five hours with them. And Ani uh, gave me a, a little study on prayer I've been doing. And, you know, the Bible talks there about our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Where he's our Abba Father, he's our Papa, he's our Dad, but he's also hallowed, he's in heaven. So you have the intimate and the informal, but then you have he's Almighty God blended into one. And you, you cannot assume upon him. And he's holy, holy, holy. So we only worship that which is greater. And listen carefully. You will never surrender to someone you do not respect. You never surrender to someone you do not respect. And the most important preparation in your life is in your heart to the Lord. And then you begin to respond to him. And say, Lord, I... I not only love you, but but I I respect you, I honor you, I fear you. 
You've taken care of me. There's a love response. It's in Romans 12.1. By the mercies of God, I give myself to you because of all you've done for me. That's an appeal. And then there's this appeal here of surrender because of, of who God is. His majesty. And so God gave him this promise, this conditional promise. He says that um, sanctify yourselves. Now, some promises are unconditional. When God told Abraham, he said in Romans or in, in Genesis 12, three times, he said, I will, I will, I will. And he put the onus on him. God said, I'll do these things. You, you don't have to do anything. When God made the covenant, he put Abraham asleep and God walked through uh, the dead animals, which was a symbol of a covenant, because this is what God would do to two people if they, and one of them broke it. God walked between those animals because he made the covenant with himself. And so uh, he said, I will, I will, I will. And he made seven promises and he kept them. But God does not give us conditional promises to earn his blessing. It's to make sure that our heart is prepared. Because if our heart is not prepared, it's like giving a three-year-old a gun. It's dangerous. And so God wants us to to prepare our hearts. Sanctify yourselves. Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. We don't hear that talk very much about about sanctifying ourselves. And the miracle, the the wonders, the, the unbelievable things that God can do for us, the provisions... Um, was not was not a result of them working hard. Work has a place. It, it was a, it was a result of them surrendering themselves. And another word for sanctifying it is to consecrate. And we'll talk about that if we have time. But what what beautiful consequences here when you sanctify? You set yourself apart. You surrender. One man said this: God didn't tell them to sharpen their swords. And go fight the battle. In fact, you read Jericho, that's where that's the first battle they fought. He didn't tell them to sharpen the swords. He told them to sanctify their souls. And we we do God's work with secular means. It was not a military exploit, it was a spiritual matter. The word sanctify means to to hallow something. And it's not done by saying words, it's an expression of the heart. Lord, this, this belongs to you. You know, the tithe, when you tithe, you give 10% of your income. You're not giving that because well, that, that belongs to God. It belongs to God in a special way. But when I tithe, the reason I tithe is I'm saying, God, it all belongs to you. Listen carefully. If you do not tithe, here's, here's what you believe. It doesn't belong to God. I don't mean the tithe. I mean everything. If you're not generous, you're not generous because you, because you think you're self-made or you don't think God will take care of you. There's a lot of things that stem out of that. But you haven't sanctified yourself. Um, when our kids were born, we, we gave them to God, every one of them. When I held Jeremiah in Alexandria Hospital in Alexandria, Virginia, and I prayed a prayer. I mean, the first thing I did, I said, God, I, I give my son to you. Uh, we had trouble having kids, miscarriage, and, you know, we've had to wait. And this, this is a gift. We may not have any more kids, but 
I give him to you. You can use him how you wish. Jeremiah means exalted of the Lord. You, you, David means beloved. You can have him. I did that with all, all seven. And we took our hands off of our children and gave, gave them to God. Um, I was praying for Paula, with Paula, but for her the other night. And she had some special burdens. And, and it just came to my mind. I, I guess I've been studying this. I said, Lord, when we moved into this house, we, we, we sanctified this house. We gave this house to you. And I know she remembers that. We, God, thank you for helping us find this house. And we give this, we give this house to you. This is your house. We've only bought uh, one car that was brand new, only one. And uh, it, we got a really good price. It's a long story. And I don't say that so trying to defend myself, but we, we wouldn't have been able to do that. But we, we did. And, and I remember we were at the Kroger. It's not there anymore, but it's over there at the corner of, uh, of uh, right by uh, uh, close to five guys. It's not a Kroger anymore, but some of you know where I'm talking about. We'd had it about three months, and, you know, we were loading the groceries up, and, and, you know, sometimes those wheels roll, and we were in the back putting stuff in. I heard Paula go, oh, no, oh, no. And I went, what, what is it? She said, oh, I let go and look, and it had cuddled place, you know, had a mark on the back of it. I said, you know what, Paula, it's going to happen sooner or later. I said, remember when we gave this car to God? We did. We gave a car to God. You know, God takes better care of his stuff than you do. He takes care of it. Just give it to God. Just sanctify it. I found this verse. This, this is really incredible. When God called Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, look at this. And when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside... That he turned aside when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see that is the burning bush. God called unto Moses out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. He said, Draw not nigh. And isn't this interesting? Same thing he told, Don't come close. You see this, this thing? Don't come close. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now, especially in the Eastern mindset, um, the shoe was, was a sign of filth. That's why they washed feet back then. Um, they had open sand, open-toed sandals and sewage literally ran in the streets and all the, it, their feet were soiled and sand and dirt. And so it was common that you washed guests' feet and you did not wear shoes, even in Japan and other places. And so the Muslims had continued this. When we were in Israel back in 98, I went with some Price Harris and some people. We were at the Dome of the Rock. Some of you that have been there remember this. And uh, so the Muslims are in control of that part uh, right up above the Western Wall. And when you go in there, it's got these beautiful, I don't know whether to call them carpets. They're very expensive, you can tell. And, of course, these guys pretty much hate Americans. And, boy, they're looking at you with the evil eye. And um, but but they know how much money they bring over there, so they they tolerate a lot of things. And um, 
you have to take off your shoes. We took off our shoes to be able to go through there. It's a, the site where Abraham offered Isaac and uh, the same mountain range. And it's not far at all where, where Jesus died on Calvary. It's just so significant where all, all that happened because they see that as an idea of pollution. I remember when George Bush was over in Iraq making a speech and one of the, the Iraqi reporters um, protested. Remember what he did? Remember what he threw at him? He threw a shoe. Why, why did he throw a shoe? Because of this. It's the worst thing he could have. It was, like, it was like throwing dung at him. That's what it was. It wasn't, but it was like the worst thing you could do. Uh, Alan Burdett told me that uh, um, George Bush won back in took Reagan's spot. Um, <laughs> so those of you that are older remember this. I guess I just thought, well, that's just because he's from Texas. But Bush one would say, he didn't say Saddam. He said Saddam. How many remember that? Saddam Hussein. Remember that? Saddam Hussein. Well, <clears throat> um, Alan told me that because he was over there a lot. And he, he, he was a bodyguard for a lot of people, for Schwarzkopf and people. And Alan, Alan told me that um, that one of the prefixes, I think it was dam, one of the prefixes for that or, or part of that word was the word foot. He knew how to pronounce it. Every time he was saying that, he was, he was telling Hussein, your foot. He was just mocking him. You got to be, he said, no, that's why he did it. See, this thing of that, take off your, don't take off your shoes. It's a big thing to them because, and, and it, here's what it represented. It represented corruption. It represented filth. We take our hats off when we go into places today as an expression of reverence for the place. They, even false religions, take off their shoes as a confession of personal defilement. But I wonder, I wonder, are we, are we serious about, about consecrating ourselves? And that's what he says here. Sanctify yourselves. This is, this is something you do. God has done all the work. When you're saved, God sanctifies you positionally. But now he says, I want you to sanctify yourself. You're in Joshua 3. Turn the page to Joshua 5. Joshua chapter 5. And uh, Joshua was out for a walk one day in verse 13, Joshua 5, 13. Joshua was a military commander. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And remember, that's where they're going, the first battle. There stood a man over against him. That means directly in his pathway with his sword drawn in his hand. So he sees this opponent. He doesn't know who it is. And Joshua, the leader, the general, the warrior, went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And this man said, Nay, nope, but as captain of the host, the word host means armies of the Lord, am I now come? I believe it was Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And Joshua fell on his face in the earth and did worship. And said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? He, he, he consecrated himself. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot. 
for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Someone said, God didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And Joshua confessed that, and, and he, he cooperated with it. You know, the first battle that they had in Canaan was Jericho. And it required a miracle. It was a, a walled city. I remember we went to, Mir- uh, went to Jericho in Israel. And uh, they say they found ruins of it. I won't go into it, all of you. We don't have time. But um, there was, it, the walls were so wide that you could drive a chariot over them. And there's no way Israel was going to get in there. And they were scared. They sent some spies in. You know the stories. But the leader, before, before the nation could go in, the leader had to, sanct- listen, had to sanctify himself again. I think there's a general sanctification when you say, Lord, I'm all in. I, I give you everything that I have. And this reverence, this reverence that he had for God to take his shoes off, not, not in a legalistic way, but in a, Lord, I, I know this is, this is, I'm on holy ground. But you, you do not surrender to someone you, you, you do not respect. And then he surrendered again. And I've, I've had so many surrenders, so many times I've had to sanctify myself and set myself apart. Not, not just one time. Someone said an anointing, God anoint me for this task. It's a special touch for a special task. You know, we leave that for preachers. Well, God anoints the preacher while they preach. Uh, Mom, you need an anointing as a mother to raise your children. Not just from zero to 18 or whatever. You, you need it for this week. You need it tomorrow. And you need to sanctify yourself for that. Take stress out. God, you gave me this task. You gave me this child. Maybe you're, you're teaching a class here and, and there, there's something that, that you feel like, I, I, I can't do this. And you have to set yourself apart. And let God do the work through you. When God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, he was up there. And before he was going up, here's what he told them right before he did. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 12 and 13. Thou shalt set bounds unto the people, a boundary round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves. Go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. Or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, that means that God sounded the trump, they shall come up to the mount. Then it, it was time for them to be able to approach the mount. In other words, you're, you're to have a reverent attitude. And that doesn't mean when you come to church you can't talk and you can't laugh. But it means that when the Word of God is open, when you're singing, you're just not your hands in your pockets and you're bored and you're sleeping, there's a, there's a reverence. There's, God is set apart. You're in Joshua 5. Look at Joshua 6. Joshua chapter 6. Remember what happened in chapter 6? God judged Achan later on in chapter 7. But the reason God judged Achan is given to us in Joshua 6 and verse 19 when they went into Jericho. Look at this. Joshua six nineteen. Speaking of Jericho, all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. And this is all the stuff in Jericho. 
and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. It doesn't belong to you. It's a first fruit offering. Now, there, there'll be plenty of spoil for you later. Don't you touch it. Don't you take it. But Achan did. And that's why it was such a severe punishment. And that's why it was called an accursed thing. In fact, sometimes the word accursed there is used uh, consecrated. Don't, don't, don't touch things that, that have been consecrated to God, that are special to God. I'll close with this in Psalm 89 and verse 7. I have more to say. We'll pick it up later. Psalm 89 and verse 7. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of his saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him in reverence. We get the word revere from that because of who he is. God, I, I revere you. I, I surrender I surrender my life to you. I give you my life. God will not do for you what only he can do until you consecrate, until you sanctify yourself. He wants to do wonders for you. You know what I like about that? I've been thinking about that this this week. Because when he talked about, okay, we're going to cross Jordan. Well, tomorrow, you know, tomorrow he did, he did a wonder. But in the text in Joshua 3, 5, he says, tomorrow I will do wonders, wonders. And, and God wants to do things in your life that cause you to wonder, why did God do that? I, I never knew God could use me to do that. God, I, I never, I don't have the skill set for that. I don't have the personality for that. How, how did you do that, God? Well, it's because you got in the Word of God and found out what God was teaching you. God gave you some direction. You obeyed Him. And then you came up to some roads. You had to decide, are you going to do what you want to do or God wants to do? And then you begin to dedicate and sanctify and consecrate your life to the Lord and to His purposes. And it's just simple. It's just as simple. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. But the preparations are not organizational. They're matters of the heart. Keep your heart with all diligence. So what what have you, what, while I've been preaching, is God, is God speaking to you about something that you need to consecrate? That you need to sanctify. Maybe, maybe it's it's yourself, your future, uh, your finances. Maybe it's uh, it's your children, uh, a situation you're going through, your, uh, questions about your job, your your health. I don't know what you you have to sanctify these things unto the Lord, and then leave leave it up to God. You know, listen. Worry is assuming God's responsibility. Worry is assuming God's responsibility. And you have to say, God, I don't know anything about this. But what I do know, it doesn't look good. But I sanctify myself unto you. You know, the I will show you this verse next week. In John seventeen nineteen. it says that Jesus sanctified himself unto us. He set himself apart for me. My goodness. And I won't set myself apart for him. Oh, help us.
Why don't you pray with me? Father, we come to you today and we sure do need your help. In one way, this is easy to do because what you've asked us to do is something that you've not done yourself for us. You love us so much. You've laid your life down for us. Lord, we were rebels. The Bible says we were at enmity with God. We were running from you. Use your name in vain. And Lord, you, you sanctified yourself to come and to redeem us and to change us. And Lord, we still have that strain of rebellion in us. And like I said earlier, I, I have to I have to come back to this and say, God, I I, I sanctify myself again. I, I give I give these matters back to you. Lord, this is your church. You said you will build this church. And you've given us responsibilities. But Lord, this is your church. It's not ours. And I just pray that you would help us. I pray for young people that are here that maybe you have laid your hand upon them to preach the gospel. And and they're afraid. They feel like they can't do it. I remember that feeling. There may be someone here you want to be a missionary. And they feel like, I, I, I don't have the personality. I don't know what to do. But Lord, you'll equip them. You'll open the doors for them. There may be a discouraged mom or dad here over something. And Lord, you will anoint them for the task. And you'll do it many times in a day. You're so good to us. So I pray as we go about our week that we will just not live a memorized Christian life, but that we will consecrate ourselves and sanctify ourselves and hallow our lives and the moments and the opportunities that we have to edify one another, to pray for people and and see what we do as very sober and serious with that being serious and sober, but filled with the joy of God. But knowing what we do matters. Bless these people. Lord, I love these people. How dear they are to my heart. I pray you would bless them and give us, a, give us a great week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, folks. I love you. And if you guys want one of those sheets, I'll be over here and give you, give you those. Okay, you're dismissed. Thank you. Yeah, I'll get it to you, buddy. Turn this off real quick.